Good morning. The meeting will come to order. Welcome to the November 1st, 2023 meeting of the Budget and Finance Committee. I'm Supervisor Connie Chan, Chair of the Committee. I'm joined by Vice Chair Rafael Mendelman uh, and shortly by Supervisor Asha Safayi. Our clerk is Brent Halipa today. I would like to thank uh, Matthew Enall from SFGovTV for broadcasting this meeting. Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcement? Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, on October 17th, 2023, the Board of Supervisors approved a motion discontinuing remote public comment and participation at all board and committee meetings. Uh, going forward, all public comment will be taken in person with remote access only being provided for those who require an ADA accommodation. Uh, for those currently in attendance, public comment will be taken on each item on this agenda. When your item of interest comes up in public comment is called, please line up uh, to speak uh, right along those curtains to your right. Alternatively, you may submit public comment and writing in either of the following ways. Email them to myself, the Budget and Finance Committee Clerk at brent.jalipa at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and also included as part of the official file. You may also send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall. That's one. Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. And uh, just a friendly reminder for those in attendance during this meeting, uh, please make sure to silence all cell phones and electronic devices. And should you have any documents to be included as part of the official file, it should be submitted to myself, the clerk. And finally, Madam Chair, items acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors agenda of November 7th, unless otherwise stated. Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. And uh, this, these two, I. Uh, before we call item one and, and the remaining items on the agenda, I would like to remind uh, the public that we have budget and legislative analyst reports for items. Um, there are actually a few of them on the uh, uh, today's agenda. And so for those items, we will have the department presentation first, followed by the budget and legislative analyst report. Then we will take questions and public comment. And with that, Mr. Clerk, please call items number one and two together. Yes, items uh, number one and two. Uh, item number one is the resolution determining and declaring that the public interest and necessity demand the construction, development, acquisition, and or rehabilitation of rental affordable housing projects and related costs necessary or convenient for the, going, uh, for the foregoing purposes to be financed through bonded indebtedness in the amount not to exceed 300 million uh, or sorry, yes, 300 million, subject to independent citizen oversight and regular audits, authorizing landlords to pass through 50% of the resulting property tax increase to residential tenants under administrative code, uh, providing for the levy and collection of taxes to pay both principal and interest on such bonds, affirming the determination under the California Environmental Quality Act in finding that the proposed bond is consistent with the general plan and the eight priority policies of the planning code. And item two is the associated ordinance calling and providing for a special election to be held in the city and county on Tuesday, March 5th, 2024, for the purpose of submitting to the voters these propositions to incur bond indebtedness. Madam, uh, Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. And uh, these two items, just want to remind everyone that we heard these items last week and uh, have made amendments to it uh, according to the request of President Peskin and that uh, with that it had to sit for a week uh, and now here we are. Um, President Peskin, would you like to make uh, opening remark for these two items and just also that we have a updated 
uh, budget and legislative analyst report. I note that the budget and legislative analyst recommends approval. I think everything that we discussed last week remains true. I commend this item to you and look forward to moving it to the full board. I have been working closely with Mayor Breed and her administration uh, and look forward to a collaborative effort to get this on the ballot and have it passed by the voters in March. Thank you. Um, we'll have the budget and legislative analyst report. Good morning, supervisors. Nick Menard from the BLA. We don't have any updates to the, any, any financial updates, but we are updating our recommendation in light of last week's meeting to approve these items. Thank you. And with that, Vice Chair Mendelman. Thank you, Chair Chan. Thank you, President Peskin, for all your work on this. And I would like to be added as a co-sponsor to one and two. Thank, thank you. Thank you. And with that, let's go to public comments for these two items. Yes, Madam Chair, members of the public who wish to speak on these two items uh, should line up now uh, to the right along those curtains. Uh, we invite uh, speakers to come forward to the lectern, and all speakers will be given two minutes to speak. Elena Engel from 350 San Francisco and the San Francisco Climate Emergency. This is in reference to the $30 million for the preservation of existing housing. The amendments referred to last week do not amount to a commitment to take methane gas out of low-income housing. It says things like, we could, we should, maybe we'll get together. No, that's not what we're asking for. We, the 80 people who wrote to you and the organizations who sent letters, require your commitment to electrify the units you are going to be acquiring and rehabbing. You're going to have to do it anyway. There's no other way. It's, not, it, it, it's obligatory. You must remove all natural gas, that is methane, from our buildings if we're going to have to diminish the harm we are already doing to our planet. Why not do it now? It makes sense. Once you're working on the existing housing, you're doing the rehab, it's cheaper, it's more efficient, it will prevent disruption to the tenants. If you do all the work at one time, not when the housing is occupied. The cost is modest. Using the BLA estimate on the cost of decarbonizing our buildings that was done a few years ago. If we use that, it looks like it's three to four percent of the thirty million dollars would be the cost of decarbonization. Removing gas now in low-income housing is the most equitable thing to do since burning methane indoors pollutes the interior air and, and contributes to asthma. Does it seem fair to have low-income people move in to a newly rehabbed place and allow the air to be polluted by methane gas, which we know causes asthma specifically in children? Thank, Thank you, Elaine Angle, for your comments. Next speaker. Good morning, Supervisors. John Avalos from the Council of Community Housing Organizations. Uh, first of all, I want to put uh, this bond in context of San Francisco's economic recovery and how we can stimulate housing production in San Francisco. I want to thank uh, the community members who took part in the Inclusionary Housing Technical Advisory Committee, which actually recommended a reduction in development fees, including the inclusionary housing fee. Um, 
in, with that reduction that the Board of Supervisors had approved, uh, it's necessary to bring forward a superior amount of funding to be able to bring uh, affordable housing funds to help build uh, workforce housing. This bond is what does that. It's not enough, but it is a pathway in the right direction. We have a regional housing bond coming forward uh, that we hope to uh, have on the ballot in November, and this will help prime the pump for that uh, effort coming forward. Uh, the Council Community Housing Organizations is involved with the decarbonization uh, building, ta uh, building task force. Um, here in the city, we're meeting today at 11 o'clock. Um, the 30 million for preservation is essential that we build uh, housing that is a rehab housing so that it is carbon free. Um, but this, these funds are also necessary to ensure that we have a robust preservation program, first and foremost. Our, our bond dollars leverage uh, state and federal monies. There's Inflation uh, Reduction Act funds that we could leverage uh, with these fundings to help with our decarbonization effort. Uh, we're also looking at other sources that could possibly come into play. Our Public Utilities Commission uh, perhaps could help fund uh, the installation of electrification devices in our buildings, uh, so we don't necessarily have to put it in the bond and limit what, what we can build for uh, the preservation of affordable housing units. Uh, thank you so much for all your work on this. Uh, many months in the making, and uh, we will be uh, right in line to help make sure it passes. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. John Avalos. Seeing no further speakers, Madam Chair. Thank you. Seeing no more public comments, public comment is now closed. And I would like to make the motion to move these two items to full board with recommendation. And with that, a roll call, please. And on that motion, uh, to forward both items to the full board with a positive recommendation. Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai. Safai absent. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have two ayes with Member Safai absent. Thank you, the motion passes. Thank you, and uh, with that, uh, please call item number three. Item number three is an ordinance amending the administrative code to increase the fees imposed by the Department of Administrative Services for reproduction and notary services provided to the public and authorizing the controller to make future adjustments to ensure that costs of providing the services are recovered without producing revenue, which is significantly more than such costs. Madam Chair. Thank you, and today we have Rebecca uh, Viermeyer here. Great, thank you. From uh, It's the Permit Center Director. Um, thank you so much for being here, and the floor is yours. Good morning, thank you for having me here. Um, I appreciate the time to give you a briefing on the changes that we're requesting to the administrative code to increase our fees for the permit center, uh, for the print center within the permit center and authorize the controller to make future adjustments uh, to ensure our costs are recovered. Uh, quickly, I'd love to give you some background on the permit center. We opened in the summer of 2020 um, and our one-stop shop for over-the-counter construction permitting and most business and special events permitting. In addition, our staff works on a number of strategic initiatives to make permitting processes more customer-centric, streamlined, and efficient. One of the features of the Permit Center is an on-site print center 
which offers copy, print, scan, and notary services. Um, and a couple of the bigger volume services that we do um, is printing construction plans. So last fiscal year, we produced 84, over 84,000 square feet of construction drawings for our customers. Um, that service allows customers to send from wherever they are in the world a set of uh, drawings, construction plans, uh, that are then routed throughout the permit center. If mid-service they need to make a revision to one of their sheets, they can call, they can make that change on their laptop, send it to the print center and have it printed or call to their offices and have somebody from you know, their offices send that into the print center and they can pick it up from within a few minutes and continue their service. Um, in addition, we have a partnership with Public Works to produce their no parking signs. Those can be issued immediately after Public Works issues uh, the permit. These services allow us to provide a complete end-to-end -end experience for customers. Um, the following is a summary of the actual fee increases that we're requesting. And then just quickly, uh, explanation of why. So this is a very new service for San Francisco. It didn't exist before 2021, I think, is when we launched the service. We initially calculated prices based on estimates. We're a few years in now. We understand the volume. Things like paper and costs have increased, and so we need to normalize our costs. Um, we hope that this is the last time we have to come in front of you, and then the rest of our price increases will be... Um, they'll be part of the controller's sort of normal process of increasing fees. But this should be the last time we make any significant changes to our fees. Thank you. Thank you, and I think what you meant was, um, I guess with the controller is that they do come through the budget process every year with the adjustments of the CPI and the consumer price index um, increase, so it would increase or adjust, I should say, adjust, accordingly. Exactly. Great, exactly. thank you so much for your presentation today, and let's go to public comment. Yes, if we have any members of the public who are joining us today to wish to comment on this item, you should line up now. And uh, all speakers will have two minutes to speak. Seeing no speakers here in the chamber, Madam Chair. Thank you. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. And I uh, would like to make the motion to move this item to full board with recommendation and, the recomm and, and roll call, please. On that motion to forward this ordinance to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman absent. Member Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have two ayes with Vice Chair Mandelman absent. The motion passes. Thank and you. And Mr. Clip, please call item number four. Yes, item number four is an ordinance waiving competitive bidding requirements in the administrative code and all other requirements uh, in the code, uh, in the administrative code, environment code, or other parts of the municipal code has applied to the commodities purchased to authorize the airport commission to procure up to 14 used compressed natural gas transit buses from the city of Phoenix, which owns and operates Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport for an amount not to exceed 350000 and authorizing the airport director to negotiate the terms of the agreement consistent uh, with the not to exceed amount. Madam Chair. Thank you so much, Mr. Clerk. And today we have uh, Kathy Weiner, uh, Widener here, a Chief Ex uh, External Affairs Officer from uh, SFO. Thank you so much for being here. Good morning, Chair Chan, members of the committee. Kathy Widener with the San Francisco International Airport. The ordinance before you seeks your approval to waive certain municipal code requirements 
to allow the airport to purchase up to 14 used CNG transit buses from Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport for a not to exceed amount of $350,000 to expand the GO SFO shuttle service. GO SFO shuttle was launched last year offering employee shuttle services from Hayward and Castro Valley to the airport. Ridership is between 550 and 650 rides per day. The airport's current fleet of buses is not large enough to support an ex potential expanded service of the GO SFO shuttle program. Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport also recently completed an extension of their air train and as a result have surplus buses that are available for, to us. The, the newest of these are, um, 14 of these, are buses that are in good condition and similarity in mode, engine, and transmission to our existing SFO buses. The waiver request, um, this ordinance allows the airport to act on the availability of buses at a favorable price and condition. The not to exceed amount will cover the purchase of 14 buses at $25,000 each. Um, our auto shop staff estimates that a maximum replacement um, of parts and services costs would be in the range of another $73,000 per vehicle. Towing costs are approximately $11,700 per bus. Um, this entire process is much less than it would be for us to purchase new electric buses, which are in the $900,000 range and take up to two years to procure. The ordinance covers the purchase of the buses and we will use normal procurement processes to complete the transportation of the vehicles to SFO and use existing contracts to support operations and maintenance of the buses. The budget analyst has reviewed this potential per purchase and recommends approval, but I am available to answer any questions. Thank you. Item this is an ordinance that would essentially allow the airport to buy 14 buses from Phoenix Airport. These are old compressed natural gas buses that will be used to expand the airport employee shuttle program to Hayward and Castro Valley BART. Based on our analysis, I do think this is um, a good financial decision for the airport, which we detail on page seven of our report, and we recommend approval of item four. Thank you. Frankly, it is not the most ideal, like, dynamics given, but the cost difference between $25,000 per bus versus $900,000 per bus, um, and that uh, clearly it's a low-end estimate for $900,000 per bus. Um, it's a, it's a, for, um, what we're facing, both at a, a at an airport that's trying to rebound from um, COVID, from pandemic, and, and making it efficient, um, it's very challenging decisions, I must say, uh, to think about the future and the environment, and really look forward to seeing more electric um, electrical fleet uh, in the city, both at SFO, but really throughout the city in general. Um, but there are also challenges, not just about um, the cost of it, but also for, from what I understand, even, even with SFMTA facing a lot of challenges is also the supply, uh, what are availability uh, of supplies uh, of electric buses. And so with that, um, it's a tough decision, but it's definitely easy, um, make it easier to make, 
to have the cost analysis between $25,000 versus $900,000 and possibly more. So with that, um, Supervisor Safai. Uh, thank you. H how used are the buses? And what's the, what's the life expectancy of the buses? Through the chair um, to Supervisor Safai. The buses are uh, range from about 13 to 14 years old. Um, our um, auto shop staff did go to Sky Harbor and take a look at the buses. They're in very good condition. Um, they estimate that there is a useful life of another three to five more years. And I should have mentioned as part of my presentation that we do have plans to convert all of these buses to electric. This will just allow us to add to our existing fleet with a very almost exact type of bus to expand our shuttle service while we put in place the process to procure the electric buses. So this is just, the intention is to just have these for a few years and then no longer use them and then use a whole new set. So you're not converting these buses, you're converting to different buses that are electric. Yes, we will we use these sure. buses to expand our current service um, to make sure that it is as popular as, as what we have right now. Um, and it also buys us three to five years to procure the electric buses. So as these buses go out of service, they will be replaced by electric buses. Got it. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very surprised. I think it's a smart way to, to utilize. Appreciate it. Thank you. I don't see any other uh, questions uh, from this body. Then let's go to public comment. Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item should line up now. And uh, each speaker uh, will be allowed two minutes to speak. Seeing no speakers in the chamber, Madam Chair. Thank you. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. Uh, I would like to make, uh, move the motion to move this item to full board with recommendation. And with that, a roll call, please. And on that motion, to forward this ordinance to the full board with the positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. The motion passes. And please call item number... Uh, five and yes, please call item number five. Yes, item number five. His ordinance the appropriating 377,000 from general city responsibility and 150,000 from the municipal transportation agency and reappropriating 100,000 to the arts commission for mural artwork, 98,000 to children, youth and their families for playground upgrades, youth nutrition, education and food security. 25,000 to the Department of Emergency Services for emergency preparedness training and capacity building, 49,000 to Public Works for irrigation system, outdoor seating area, and trees and plants in three locations, 50,000 to the Department of Economic and Community Development for small business rainy day funds, 25,000 to the Recreation and Park Department for removal of storm damage and hazardous trees from Mount Sutro, 30,000 to the police department for cameras in the inner sunset and 150,000 to the municipal transportation agency for community space design, uh, traffic calming and traffic safety at three locations in the fiscal year of 2023 through 2024. Madam Chair. Thank you. And today we have uh, Emma Hiking um, uh, Legislative A for Supervisor Mirna Malkar here. 
Thank you. Hello, my name is Emma Hyken, and I'm a legislative aide for Supervisor Myrna Melgar. These funds are part of Supervisor Melgar's annual participatory budgeting process in which members of the District 7 community can apply for, um, can propose ways that our city should, should use our um, taxpayer dollars. Uh, and then those proposals are vetted by the city departments and they go to a public vote of District 7 residents. And this year, 17 projects were um, selected past the voting threshold and past the vetting of, of the various departments. Um, I have the list, the short descriptions of each of the 17 proposals here, if, um, if you'd like to read them each. Project will only be awarded up to $50,000, um, but a couple of projects We'll, we'll go to the same department, so that's why you'll see the numbers of up to 150,000 um, for a few of these departments. And I am happy to answer any questions you may have. Thank you. It does have a BLA report. So this item just changes appropriations amounting to a transfer of funds of $527,000 for projects that were um, going to benefit Supervisor District 7 and just changing the appropriation of to different projects. We recommend approval. Thank you. Don't see any questions uh, from this committee and let's go to public comment. Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are with us uh, should line up now next to those curtains and all speakers will have two minutes to speak. Seeing those speakers in the chamber, Madam Chair. Thank you. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed. I'd like to uh, move this item to full board with a recommendation. Roll call, please. And on that motion to forward to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. And um, with that, the motion passes. And uh, Mr. Clerk, please call item six seven and eight together yes items six through eight uh item six is a resolution authorizing the recreation and park department to accept and expand cash and in-kind grants from the friends of jackson park valued at approximately 12.4 million for the renovation of jackson playground for the project term uh, of upon approval of board of supervisors until notice of substantial completion and to authorize the general manager of uh, recreation and parks to enter into uh, modifications to the grant that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities to the city and are necessary to effectuate the purposes of the contract or that resolution. Items seven and eight are resolutions approving the Recreation and Park Department General Manager's Declaration of Emergency under the Administrative Code. Item number seven is for the repairs of the Trocadero Clubhouse uh, with an estimated not to exceed amount of approximately 1.85 million in item number eight is for winter storm cleanup at Sigmund Stern Grove and other recreation and park facilities estimated to cost in excess of 250,000 madam chair thank you and uh, these three items will be presented by recreation and park department however items seven and eight do have the budget and legislative analyst report so if we can go to item six uh, presentation and then seven and eight presentation together and then we'll go to the budget and legislative analyst uh, for item seven and eight together thank you chairwoman chan good morning to you 
Supervisors Mendelman and Supervisor Safai. I'm Tamar Barlev. I'm Assistant Director of Partnerships for the Recreation and Parks Department. I'm here to request the authorization for the Recreation Parks Department to accept and expend a grant for $12.4 million for Friends of Jackson Park and authorize the general manager to enter into a grant agreement with Friends of Jackson Park. Here's some background on Jackson Park and the planned renovation. Jackson Park is located at the northern base of Petro Hill, bounded by Mariposa, 17th, Arkansas and Carolina Streets. The park serves both the established and growing Petro Hill community, as well as the new communities developing around Mission Bay. As these communities grow and there's an increased need for usable park and open space, there's a huge amount of need for this area. Jackson Park is a five-acre park established in 1912 and was last renovated in 1998. The park has two baseball fields, which I played on one of those when I was 12 years old, um, and a high, has highly coveted field lights and a heavily used aging and undersized clubhouse and some underutilized acreage around the park. The Friends of Jackson Park is a community-led 501c3 nonprofit whose mission is to foster community support and advocate for a renovated, well-maintained, and vibrant Jackson Park. Since 2014, the Recreation and Parks Department has worked with Friends of Jackson Park and the community to re-envision the park. The result of this community-based work is this concept plan, developed through a multi-year comprehensive community and stakeholder outreach process. This process included 10 community meetings that actively engaged community organizations, seniors, youth, local businesses, and local education representatives. As shown in this area analysis, the concept plan increases usable space by 28%, meets the varying needs of the community, increases the types of park and rec uses available to the public, and provides easy access to amenities. The plan was developed by a design team led by Fletcher Studio, and this team has a number of experts that have gotten the project to this point. To date, the following is a summary of the funds raised or committed to this project. We have $10 million from the 2020 Health and Recovery Bond. We have $8 million from the Eastern Neighborhood CAC Development Impact Fees, uh, just over $5 million in general funds, other development fees at $4.6 million, and open space fund for $7,000, as well as the $12.44 million that has been um, uh, that the, uh, in private grants that have been promised um, and will be raised by the Friends of Jackson Park. Excuse me. Um, Friends of Jackson Park have already raised 2.8 million of the 12.4 pledged. Ultimately, they plan to raise nearly 4 million to cover architectural and engineering costs and 8.5 million of the construction costs. Um, please note that based on current economic conditions and the subsequent legislation passed by the Board of Supervisors earlier this year, um, that, and according to the Planning Department's projection for the Eastern Neighborhood CAC, $5.7 in impact fees that were recently projected to be available in 2026 are now projected to be available in 2027 through 2029. In anticipation of this, Reckon Park staff is actively looking for local, state, and federal funding that can fill that gap. However, if for any reason those fees aren't received or external funds can't be raised in time to achieve this project, we'll have to find options to fill the, that gap, including per, perhaps coming back to this uh, board for potential support. 
we respectfully request that you authorize the general manager of the Rec and Park Department to enter into the grant agreement with Friends of Jackson Park and authorize Recreation and Parks to accept and expend the funds raised by our community partners so that Rec and Park staff and the community may work together to achieve the, the city and the community's decade-long effort to renovate Jackson Park. Thank you so much. Thank you. Just trying to uh, understand the $5 million of general fund. Um, is it general fund from the Rec and Park capital improvement source? Uh, Director of uh, Administration and Finance, Antonio Guerra for Rec Park. Um, I think that $5 million has been appropriated uh, over multiple budget years. I think it might have been $4 million one year and then additionally a portion from the general fund capital program. So it's kind of multiple years, multiple sources. But it's the Rec and Park capital funds? Uh, yes, it's from our general fund baseline. That's correct. Okay. Supervisor uh, Safayi. Uh, thank you. Thanks for a presentation. I'm just a little confused at looking at this because I've, I've used this as you did and my children have for many years. I'm just a little curious. How is, when you say area number three, multi-purpose court, is that basketball, futsal, pickleball, and tennis all in the same place? Because I don't understand how you make that happen. I'm just curious. Again, I know this has probably gone through a community process and so on. I just, I'm just curious to know how you intend to make that happen. Uh, good morning. My name is Noah Levy. I'm a project manager with the Rec and Park Capital Division. Um, so to answer your question about the multi-court space, this is something that, as you said, has been developed with community members over this years long process and really has to do with the amount of space available. Um, and it might look like we have a giant space here, but we really are fighting for inches. Um, so to add the required program amenities that the community is, is looking for and that will meet Rec Park's needs. Um, so, so this multi-court space is uh, um, uh, essentially a, a concept to, to bring all these different spaces together. We'll be working with our reservation and permits division to make oh. sure that everyone gets that's going to be spaces, tough. you know, the, the use just, that they I'm need. I'm just saying that's going to be tough. I just, when yeah. you go down there, there's always people on the basketball court. And there's always someone on the tennis court. So I don't know. And, but tennis doesn't look like it's there anymore. Now it's pickleball. And pickleball is, is a consistently used activity. So I don't know how you, anyway, I just, I, I just foresee problems in the community because there's, you know, there's, there's definitely different demographics that are using pickleball and different de demographics that are using basketball. And basketball is not one of those things that a 10 and 11 year old is gonna go make a reservation for. They just grab their ball and they go down to the, go down to the neighborhood court and wanna play basketball. So how does that work? If you're just some kids in the neighborhood and you wanna go play basketball and yet the court's reserved for pickleball, because that's who's going to reserve the space. It's going to be pickleball. Nobody else is going to reserve the space. Right. And this is something that, like I said, we're, you know, we're developing. We're trying to determine what, what's the best way that we can make this usable for the most amount of people. That's really our, our effort here. So I, you know, um, you know, there, there's a, there is space, there's multiple, you know, we're going to configure the courts in such a way that there will always be a hoop available. There'll be a backboard available, but you know, um, it comes down to really, um, 
trying to make the best use of the space that's available. Supervisor okay. Safaye, I mean, I know that's not what's in front of us today. We're just accepting the money, which I want to accept the money, and I think that's great. Um, but it's interesting because when you look at the existing space, you have tennis, you have basketball, you have children's play area, and you have a clubhouse, and somehow you don't have that all of that at the end. So what is it that was that what what is it that was asked for that was needed that the the, the community flexible open space what's that? May, may I just add one one sure. point, um, Supervisor Safai, that members of the community are are here and um, yeah, are for public at, comment and are we'll, and are listening to your comments and no, we will no, certainly good. take those. I, I'm into sure account. I'm sure they're going to comment on it and say. But what's what's the flexible open space? Is that just designed to have like picnics and stuff? I'm sorry, could you repeat that question? Number four, it says flexible open space. Correct, so what, what that is, is that it's a place for gathering, it's a place for people to have picnics, birthday parties, that kind of space, which right now doesn't really exist on the site. There's a Well, everyone just uses the baseball, the, the, the fields when, no, when there's no games. Exactly, yeah, so we're trying to make some. I mean, that's a really big space, right? Yeah. But for simultaneous, because those fields are heavily used um, <coughs> for I get across it. the city. And this is just a concept plan, I want to say that. that oh, you know, okay. There's a lot more development. You know, we have a couple okay. years of, of uh, uh, project development. I'm just all about use, so yeah. I mean, I know the dynamic that's there right now. And on the weekends, you see like people go out and they use the green space when there's no, I mean, the, the softball happens at nighttime. So on the weekends, you see everyone's using that space. That's the only reason I ask, but we can go ahead. I know we have a lot more in front of us. And, and by the way, I'm very supportive of accepting this money. I think this is one of the, you know, one of the more heavily utilized neighborhood parks it's such a gem i think it's continued to grow i know during the day you have the school across the street live oak that uses it and reserves the space um anyway i guess we'll hear from the community what they have to say <laughs> yep that sounds good I, I do have a question it's actually about the uh grant itself you know um because the resolution specifically detailing saying that it's actually both cash donation as well as in-kind donation uh i'm looking at this private funding breakdown that is estimated architectural engineering services for about 3.9 million dollars mm -hmm. and the estimated cost construction contract contribution of eight point five million dollars yes. um so which part of it is in-kind donation um, my understanding is is that um, a portion of the architectural services um, that is in kind to the project and um, how did that come about I, I think that essentially this again is the uh, the questions that I consistently ask now that Rec and Park is a chapter 6 department uh, with these type of gifts uh, and accept and expand grant, uh, mm -hmm. and that's inclusive of in-kind donation, then essentially that this also um, in-kind donation for architectural services. So uh, that means it does not go out for bid. Uh, no, it does not. Yeah. Um, and, but um, my understanding is is that we are uh, the, we are accepting a uh, through the board of supervisors of accepting this grant. We are accepting uh, this. We have no obligation at this time, but as a result of um, accepting this gift, then we take on the design that is gifted to us. And and I think that's actually the cross of what Supervisor Safai was asking. 
I think that goes back to the Rec and Park and that, you know, in terms of conversation as a project manager for this project and working along with the development team is that when you have an in-kind donation of architectural services, uh, technically, you know, it, it's, um, and how do we make sure that is, uh, the design itself, conceptual design, and the actual build-out really meets the demands of the community. And um, because we do appreciate, of course, an in-kind donation, but we really want to make sure that be a conceptual design, be it whatever it is in terms of in-kind donation, in terms of services, that is um, also meeting the needs of the community and the demands of the community, and uh, that there's a, a facilitation between uh, really the community and recreation and park department and the friends of Jackson Playground, because I think um, how do we make sure that, um, and of course grateful to the friends of Jackson Playground uh, for their support, and, or Jackson Park for their support and, and, and donation, um, but essentially also is to make sure that the process itself is inclusive because so many demands is you know, and the burdens on, mm -hmm. on this space and because we so lack of them in the urban environment. Um, could you talk a little bit, dive into just a little bit more about that? Um, so uh, I, I think my colleagues can speak to this a little bit more, but what I would say is, is that as a part of the, the process, so up until now, the process has been a community engagement process. There have been 10 community meetings with all sorts of representatives from the community um, in the Potrero Hill area. Um, and uh, Rec and Park has been a part of that process. Um, and as we accept these, uh, this work, our project managers um, will engage and ensure that the needs of the community um, are met and it, it, that it's, it's a, a collaborative effort and an effort that meets the needs of the community first. Um, I think that's the goal of all of our project managers is to ensure that. So we would make sure that that would be a part of our process. Yeah, I mean, it's always like it's always difficult when there's could be a potential like conflict and potential disagreement of the use of the space, and that's including the multi-use. I I don't really have any other questions. You know, I just wanted to express like my concern, and I think time and time again I have expressed that um, uh, just about the in-kind donation of services that also impact the design and the build out of a public space. Understandable, Beverly with Rec and Park. We have another community meeting coming up actually on November 11th, and like with all parks that we have projects on, it does not mean we don't do community process. We always do. It does not relieve us of any obligation with this grant piece. So thank you. We're happy to keep you all updated on the projects along the way. Thank you. And with that, um, let's go to presentation for items 7 and 8 together, and then we'll go to the Budget and Legislative Analyst Report. Good morning. Once again, Director of Administration and Finance for the Rec and Park Department, Antonio Guerra, here to talk about items seven and eight, the two emergency declarations related to the winter storms at Stern Grove and that affected the Trocadero Clubhouse. Uh, to take us back in time to March of this year, an atmospheric river storm caused extensive damage at Stern Grove and Trocadero Clubhouse. There were numerous fallen trees that presented a health and safety issue within the park. Uh, the department has worked with the Department of Emergency Management to submit the work that we will be discussing today at Stern Grove and Trocadero Crawl House 
as part of the city's March winter storms FEMA reimbursement package. First for Stern Grove. On March 21st, the department declared an emergency for up to $850,000, which was revised on July 14th for uh, potential work up to $3 million. These declarations allowed the department to immediately repair hazardous fallen trees and debris. Speed was necessary due to the opening of the Stern Grove Music Festival season, which began in June of this year, as well as the need to meet FEMA deadlines for the completion of all emergency response work um, on October 3rd of this year. So far, $1.6 million, uh, $22,150 has either been spent or encumbered on this contract, and the department agrees with the budget and legislative analyst recommendation to reduce the department's authority to $2.1 million. The second declaration covered specifically the work at Trocadero Clubhouse, which was damaged on March 11th by an 85-foot fallen eucalyptus tree. So we're also seeking full FEMA reimbursement to repair the clubhouse to its original condition, and we are required to complete this work by October of 2024. The scope includes roof repair, finishes, the, a fire suppression system, as well as electrical work. Uh, we have estimated this cost at $1.85 million. Uh, we are hoping to start construction this fall, and then additionally, as I mentioned, the work needs to be completed by October 3rd, 2024. Finally, specifically on our departmental procedures, uh, in accordance with Administrative Code Section 6.60, notifications were sent to the Board of Supervisors that an emergency was declared at Stern Grove. However, the required resolutions were not sent within 60 days. Uh, the department is in full agreement with the budget and legislative analyst recommendation to adopt a written procedure for emergency declarations and contracting within 30 days and provide a copy to the Board of Supervisors. I understand there might be a, um, a question as to the department's emergency and the city's declaration of an emergency, which we're happy to discuss. Um, uh, but with that, we're happy to take any questions. Good morning. Uh, so items seven and eight, these are two resolutions approving emergency declarations um, from the general manager of the Recreation and Parks Department uh, pertaining to storm damage, winter storm damage at Stern Grove. So uh, file 231024 uh, is an emergency declaration for the Trocadero Clubhouse repair. Um, that has a estimated not to exceed amount in, in the resolution of $1.85 million. And then item two is the emergency declaration related to Stern Grove, uh, file 231025. What we detail in our report um, on page 15 is the fiscal impact of these declarations. Uh, the Stern Grove emergency is uh, expected to cost about $2.1 million. The Trocadero Clubhouse will cost about $1.85 million. And, um, these are mostly going to be reimbursed, or the department submitting requests to FEMA for reimbursement. Uh, in the meantime, the, the general fund of the Recreation and Parks Department capital budget is funding these costs. And for the Stern Grove emergency work, that, that is being undertaken, that's underway and being undertaken by a contractor, professional tree care company, and um, the department is working with another firm, Architecture Resources Group, conservation services uh, to develop a scope of work to repair the Trocadero Clubhouse. 
Um, we do have several recommendations related to these resolutions. We do know as a policy consideration that uh, the resolutions did not comply with the timelines required under Administrative Code 6.60 to uh, notify the board about the emergencies and introduce the resolutions within 60 days of those declarations. Um, but I also want to kind of zoom out a little bit and think about what it means when you're approving an emergency declaration. You're, uh, you're essentially waiving all of Chapter 6 uh, for work related to that emergency declaration and all of Chapters 12A, B, C, and 14B. Um, and, you know, we have typically, I can speak for myself, we've, our office has always understood that they are not to exceed amounts in these resolutions are a binding constraint on the department's con emergency contracting authority. We've recently been, the city attorney's office has communicated a different perspective on that, saying that they're not binding. Uh, so we, I do think that the board should uh, amend administrative code 6.60 to clarify its power and as it's exercised in the, over the past 10 years. Um, I do think, number one, that the resolution 231025 that does not have a not to exceed amount at least put in a, a $2.1 million, which the department agrees is what they, the maximum amount that they're expecting to spend, at least to memorialize um, that intention, even if it's not binding. I, because the timelines were not adhered to here, uh, we are, are also recommending the department establish a written procedure for responding to emergencies, and we have suggestions about what, what that can include um, in this report, and it sounds like the department agrees with that. Uh, and I think, and this is something I just thought of this morning, I, I think if the not to exceed amounts in these emergency resolutions are not binding, I am extremely concerned about that not that not this particular instance but just in general a department coming to the board and saying we're going to spend we think we're going to spend a million dollars on this emergency and then they go out and spend 10 million dollars um, and that's actually a, i think a real problem because the emergency declaration you're approving waives all of chapter six can you repeat that last sentence again what you said was a real problem Did you say a little sure sure so Let's take a, just a, 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 a theoretical example. I'm the department of Nick Menard, and I'm coming to you to say, I have an emergency. I need to go fix my window. I think it's going to cost a million dollars. And you're like, OK, there's a winter storm. I then go out, but you've approved that emergency. So now I don't have to comply with Chapter 6 at all. No RFPs, no competitive process and I go and spend $5 million on whatever I want Wait, when because you say, it's an emergency. Chair, can I ask a question? When you say whatever you want, they have emergency authorization to repair the windows. Right, right. But Department of Nick right. Bernard. But in the past, my understanding is I've always understood that the not to exceed amounts in these resolutions provide some constraint. Mm -hmm. right on the contracting authority that it can be used in this emergency so i think given that that's no longer the case or i i would recommend that the de like any department report back in a letter 
that isn't included in the legislative file, the contractors that they're using for the emergency work, the subcontractors that they're using on, you know, under those prime contractors, and the cost that for each contract and how it was funded. So once all the work is done, there's at least some sunlight on what's been happening under that emergency authority. So I'd, re I'd, I'd recommend that these resolutions be amended to, for the board to request that in this case and include that communication in the legislative file for these items. And, and, are, and through the chair, are you recommending that for all emergency declarations that we do for every department? I think you should, I, I'm just gonna be a recommendation that we have going forward mm -hmm. until the code is, unless the code's amended. Got it, thank you. Yes, and, and in this case. That's it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I think it's concerning, uh, based on the budget and legislative analyst report, that on page 13, referencing sort of the emergency declaration timeline, starting on March 22nd of this year, um, that's technically really where the quote-unquote emergency took place. Can you walk us through what happened subsequently that ended us on November 1st? Here we are for emergency declarations. I want to say that uh, it's unusual because we technically just had a uh, approved emergency declaration last week uh, for SIPUC, for uh, Green and Fillmore uh, Streets, the sinkhole that was uh, because of the water pipe burst um, and clearly required the emergency repair. Now, with that one that was actually approved by the budget and or recommended by the budget and legislative analyst, um, with a very similar sets of, we understand that you know it will have to come in as a cost estimate. Um, we understand the constraint that it plays on city departments, even within the administrative code sections 6.6, .6, uh, specifically on D, um, you know, about the 60 days, but we under, and, and with the dollar amount of $250,000. Here we are, though. Can Reckon Park walk us through, even in your own presentation, you are in agreement that you, did, you failed to uh, submit to the board for this within the 60 day um, can you walk us through what happened absolutely we are in agreement with that and it is concerning and I completely agree with that assessment um, to go back to administrative code 6.60 there's actually a threshold of two hundred fifty thousand dollars that is required for resolution to go to the Board of Supervisors and in all honesty recreation and parks is not an emergency declaration department We've had three this year, we're really not in the business of it. And our average contract, if you look at the data, is around $100,000. So when we talk about Chapter 6 departments, something like the Portsmouth Square Garage Elevator, where Public Works guided us through the process, they are well aware of these requirements. And to be honest with you, our group just was not aware at the time. And when we, are, we were aware, then we when it hadn't submitted the resolution. So it's not something that we want to do in the future, and that's why we agree that we need uh, a written procedures for emergency declarations. So the other thing I'd point out is that we did comply with Administrative Code 6.60 upon the, the actual declaration of the emergency of notifying the board, the mayor, and the controller. So that piece 
was uh, complied with, it's the resolution piece. Um, and once again, very often when our team is made up of an urban forestry prof professionals who aren't thinking about these requirements, um, you know, at the time we were more worried about ensuring that we had GPS data for all the trees that we were trying to clean up at Stern Grove, complying with federal government regulations, and so we actually didn't comply with the city regulation to submit a resolution. I mean, I, again, I'm glad you brought up the Portsmouth Square because Portsmouth Square, again, was actually very troubling uh, that we had to result in the emergency declaration because of the maintenance deferral. Uh, deferred maintenance was so... Um, it, it just took so long for Portsmouth Square that uh, it resulted that none of the three elevators were working and that it raised a red flag even for the State Department for the ADA, uh, for, for disability accessible accessibility. And so that was what led to the emergency declaration for Portsmouth Square. And here we are, I'm, I'm just reading through, and you, of course you can correct me if I'm wrong, but here you clearly knew though at that moment that um, you had a declare an emergency for tree failures at Stern Grove and other park facilities for an estimated amount not to exceed $850,000. But at that moment, the declaration did not include the damage to the Trucodero Clubhouse. Subsequently, you added to it Again, understandable, because uh, I think according to what you just say, if I understand correctly, and please jump in and correct me, you know, that it seems like everyone was clearing out the winter storm. You understood that there was a emergency, just didn't think that Trecodero was part of the emergency. Um, regarding Trecodero Clubhouse, a an emergency declaration was needed in order to enter into a contract to ensure that the work was completed by October 3rd, 2024. So there's two FEMA deadlines that we were working uh, towards um, for the work at Stern Grove. There's an emergency clearing declaration uh, deadline of October 3rd, 2023. And so what that requires us to do is to clean up all the trees on site, all the debris on site, and do it by that deadline in order to get the maximum amount of FEMA reimbursement. Now, there's also a permanent work deadline. And what permanent work is, is essentially bringing whatever damage that occurred on the site back to its original state. So in the case of Trocadero Clubhouse, we're not renovating the site, we're not adding on to it. Essentially, we're fixing the roof, we're fixing all the damage that occurred to bring it back to its historical condition. And in order to meet that October 3rd, 2024 deadline, we realized that we would also need to declare an emergency specifically for Trocadero. Um, and I should note that in that case, we learned our lesson, we submitted the resolution within 60 days, and um, we figured it made sense to just bring both items here um, at the same time. Understood, and, and I, I just wanted to, because we're in this conversation now, I mean, we're, we're here only because technically, um, Rec and Park Department did not follow through the Administrative Code Section 6.6, .6. therefore you're now asked to have a protocol written up and reported back to the board. Uh, you, you did the first part, meaning you declared it and, and you received approval from uh, executive branch and the commission, but not the second half of, of that, which is submitting a resolution to the board uh, to follow up within 60 days. Um, I 
I look forward to seeing the report, how we can do better, um, and, and what we can do to make sure that we don't um, be in this space again. Uh, and then I also look forward to seeing what we can do with the budget and legislative analyst recommendation and with this as, a, as an example to figure out um, a binding um, language about the not to exceed amount and but understanding with the understanding that oftentimes with construction, especially when it's emergency repair, that estimate is challenging and how do we bridge the gap between the cost estimates and the initial cost estimates versus the final uh, completion for repair and construction. So thank you so much. And uh, I don't see any other questions uh, from this committee. So let's go to public comment on all these three items. Yes, we now invite members of the public who have joined us today uh, who wish to speak on items uh, six, seven, and eight uh, to line up on the windows to your right and my left. Uh, and as soon as we have the first speaker, I'll start your time in two minutes. Is this the right place right here? Okay, great. Yep. Uh, just firstly, I wanna say to Supervisor Safai, I'd love to talk to you about Jackson Park. It'll hit home in a way that 100 of these meetings wouldn't. Uh, and so up the street are two full tennis courts. I didn't really wanna mention them because I like them being secret. I have incredible views of the city and two basketball hoops right there too. So um, to what I was going to say, uh, I'm one of a bunch of parents that former Mayor Art Agnos inspired to keep a school from closing, Daniel Webster. And we worked tirelessly with the district to see renovations inside and out and created a city event that focused on the food in the area. Um, and in that time we saw our zip code be ground zero for population growth and housing. People came, they liked what they saw in the neighborhood, and they stayed. And families that were considering leaving, they chose to stay. That school is thriving. <clears throat> but we are seeing a downturn, the whole city, and our neighborhood is currently trying to stem a downtown creep of four lease signs and peeling paint and encampments, boarded up windows that you can see come along 16th Street, which was supposed to be a green corridor connecting the mission to the bay. And in fact, Bayview and Hunters Point using T-Line and downtown with the Central Subway. So we're still waiting to see that happen. <clears throat> Is that already two minutes? You have 30 yep. seconds. Yes. Okay, thanks. <laughs> anyway, um, Jackson Park is more than just a park and a playground. It's integral to this neighborhood and its revitalization is integral to the recovery of the whole city. So, thank you. Thank you much for your comments. Next speaker, please. Hello everyone, my name is Sasha Xavier Reich. I'm a resident of Potrero Hill and I'm a mother of three children at Daniel Webster Elementary School. All three of my children attend the Jackson Park after school program. I moved here seven years ago, and um, one of the things that drew us to this neighborhood was having access to a park like this. My kids, as well as myself and my husband, all use the park for various reasons. Um, we have had a, an, a great experience there, but I think the park needs a lot of renovation and a lot of help. Um, weekly, uh, when the adult baseball team comes in, they like sh literally shoo my kids' soccer practice off 
And if you are not off punctually at the exact time, they will start throwing balls towards your kids just to scare you. Um, we also had a recent situation where, as my kids were part of the aftercare program that I mentioned, um, my daughter was harassed by a homeless person in the bathroom and scared, um, which many of you may have heard of because I, I did write um, Shimon Walton about it. And um, this is the result of not having bathrooms for the aftercare program in the clubhouse. This is also something that would be part of the renovation. And, you know, I've been living here for seven years. I've been using this park for seven years. And the reason why I'm here today is because instead of just complaining about it, I want to take action and try and help. And I think that there's a lot of benefits to this park renovation, and I really look forward to seeing it happen. Great. Thank you. Thank you much for addressing this committee. Next speaker, please. Hi, everyone. My name is Azuri Peace Green, and um, I am here to speak about in, in favor of the renovations for Jackson Park. What I like about the committee is that they've reached all the way up as far as the public housing in Patrol Hill. So I run a nonprofit in Patrol Hill, and Jackson Park is actually inclusive of everybody. So when you go to that park, you actually can see yourself working at that park, playing at that park. She is correct that some of the kids do get run off if you're not off the field punctually. I know that families as far as the public housing and even in Hunters Point and beyond do come to that park. Um, I do want to put in that as you are looking at the red flags, look at the red flags for the rec center up in Patrol Hill, um, the Patrol Hill Rec Center, because there are no black and brown children in the after school program and has been like that for quite a few years. And um, everybody keeps acting like they don't know about it, but you all know about it. So let's figure out what's going to be done with that, where that is different with the um, down there at Jackson Park, where there are black and brown children in the after school program. So that shows a difference right there. And the Patrol Hill Rec Center is literally right up the street from the public housing. They pick up kids from Star King, yet there are no children in that after school program. And it has been rigged like that for quite a long time. I have said this publicly and to them. And so, um, and sometimes things do happen, but um, they have had people on board on the committee at Jackson Park to be a part of the decision making and everything else. And so I am very much in favor of that. Sure, a lot of the families that go down to Jackson Park and use it, um, some on the weekends, some every day, but and definitely need to have the bathroom inside the clubhouse for the children. So just think about it. If it's your kid, do you want your child going to the bathroom someplace else, or do you want your child going to the bathroom in the same place where they actually are attending? So put yourself in those shoes. Thank you much, Azuri P. Screen, for addressing this committee. Next speaker, please. Good morning, Supervisors. J.R. Epler here in my capacity as president of the Patero Boosters Neighborhood Association. I have to say that this time crunch that we have on the fields is true. There's nothing better than having an adult softball umpire preventing the last seven-year-old you have from doing batting practice because it's 629 and they got to start at 630 right on the dot. But I want to step back a little bit and talk about where this park fits into the public space, open space, and activity ecosystem of our neighborhood because it is a promise of the Eastern Neighborhoods Plan that we would get 4.4 acres of new public space to accommodate the development that we have taken on in the neighborhood from the Eastern Neighborhoods Plan. Only 0.9 acres have been delivered to date. All of, the all of the units have been delivered to date. There are more entitled to date. That's why we have so many conflicts on this park. That's why we need to create that open space for picnics, because it doesn't exist now. 
And if it does, it has large yellow softballs coming your way. But that's not just it, though, is it? Because we have two projects on the waterfront, 1,600 acres or 1,600 units at the power station, another comparable amount at Pier 70, the redevelopment of the south slope of Potrero Hill. Those units may have open space, but they're lacking in something. And what they're lacking is, is in rec park programming. What they're lacking in is in sports space. So our resources in our area are going to become even more constrained. And so, yes, there are going to be some conflicts. And no, this is not a perfect design, but that perfect design does not exist without a lot of additional resources. And unfortunately, we're not here to talk about that today. But this design at Jackson does tee up further expansion. It does create something that can be adapted into the future to meet our future needs. And it does provide a facility that will at least get us caught up for the time being as we go out and look at those other facilities that we have, not just Jackson, but the rec center and the other places where we can complete a neighborhood that will serve its residents and serve the people that work there. Thank you very much. Thank you, J.R. Epler. Next speaker, please. Good morning. <clears throat> Sorry. Good morning, everyone. I'm Jude Deckenbach. I'm the executive director of Friends of Jackson Park. Eight years ago, Friends of Jackson Park hired me to help them put together a park renovation plan, shepherd it through all the city agencies, and fundraise to support said plan. To date, um, through the efforts of Friends of Jackson Park, over $30 million in both public and private funds have been raised for this project. Mm. I was gonna say so many other things, but I think I will address some of your questions. Um, the landscape architect, Fletcher Studio, is an internationally acclaimed landscape architecture firm. Our building architects are Jackson Lyles Architecture, who I'm sure you're familiar with them from. They're doing the, the flower mart down at the bottom mm -hmm. of our hill. Both principals, all principals actually of those firms are neighbors. Their kids grew up playing at Jackson. They are completely invested in this project. And when you were asking about the in-kind donation, it is from them. They have given us multiple pro bono hours. Back when I started, Rec Park asked me to raise as much private money as possible, hired the consultants to make this project shovel-ready so that when we got the bond fund, we could bust a move. Then there was this little thing called the global pandemic, nothing like throwing a wrench into the forward motion of a project, but we persist and we persevere. I'd also like to address the five million that was questioned. That was actually put from the mayor's office in their capital projects, bond, uh, pro capital projects line item for us. It's not a rec park line, line item. As you read in your many letters of support that you received from the community, we need this project. The last time we got bond money was last century, 1947. That's even before I was born. So please, I urge you to be an advocate for Jackson Park and uh, approve this line item. Thank you. Thank you, Jude. Dickenbach for addressing this committee. Next speaker. Good morning, supervisors. My name is Woody Labounty. I am from San Francisco Heritage. San Francisco Heritage is a nonprofit with a mission to preserve and enhance San Francisco's unique architectural and cultural identity. I'm here to support the renovations of the Trocadero Clubhouse. Uh, San Francisco Heritage worked with Parkside neighbors to get the Trocadero Clubhouse made San Francisco City Landmark number 301, and less than a year later is when the winter storms hit to damage it. Um, we were people in the neighborhood and called me and emailed me original, uh, right away, and 
very worried about the future of the Trocadero, and I had heard some uh, less than encouraging words from Phil Ginsburg in the very first days that maybe it wouldn't be able to come back. So I'm very excited and happy that Reckon Park is putting this effort in to restore the neighborhood jewel. Um, it is one. It is probably the most historic building in the southeast southwest quadrant of the city. Um, we, right when we actually you know, gave it the recognition it deserved, not only as a piece of architecture, but as a community gathering space, uh, this damage came. So we're very excited to have it restored and brought back for the Parkside to use. Thanks so much. Thank you much, Wadi Labani. And last call for public speakers on these three items. Seeing no further speakers, Madam Chair. Seeing no more public comments, public comment is now closed. Um, Supervisor Safayi. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, thank you to the parents and others that came out today for this. I want to be clear, my kids went to Daniel Webster. I, I love this park. I've met with the leaders and friends of Jackson Park. I think this is a phenomenal effort. I think any park in the city would be lucky to have this kind of energy um, and to not have had been included in the bond for a long time, believe me, representing uh, the Excelsior Outer Mission. I know exactly how that feels. We had to take on, uh, when I was, before I was on the board, I took on my former boss, Mayor Gavin Newsom, and said to him, you're leaving out the, one of the most child-populated parts of San Francisco uh, from the bond. So kudos to all of you for all the hard work that you did. My, my questions were simply just about how you plan to anticipate some of the conflict. And I've been on the field with my kids when they were playing soccer, having balls thrown at them and being shooed off the field. And so I know that it is a highly utilized and, and one of the most popular parks in that part of town. So um, I want to add my name as a co-sponsor. I know you all will work out the uh, programming. <laughs> um, and just keep in mind, uh, and this is some of the things, the questions that I get on some of the parks that we've renovated, how you plan to plan in just free time that's not programmed. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times at Minnie and Levy, you know, kids want to go out there, they want to play ball, they want to play, you know, these are families that have lived in the neighborhood for generations, and they're constantly saying they're pushed off the field by reservation. So that was my only reason for that line of questioning, um, because sometimes if you don't anticipate it, then it ends up being a problem down the road. But no, the clubhouse is great, and, and, and the bathroom issues, we had the same thing happen over at Crocker Amazon. Unfortunately, it was a very, very terrifying incident, and it's very similar to Jackson. You have two entrances, one in the back, one in the front. At some point, I think that made sense, uh, but in this day and age, it does not, particularly when you're dealing with children and you want them to be in a safe space uh, so that they can be you know, watched at all times. You, know, you can't always rely on the buddy system to go to the bathroom. So uh, I, I want to give you all uh, all the credit in the world for putting together a phenomenal plan. Just continue to work on the programming as best you can. And I know you will. I know you will. So I'm proud to be a co-sponsor of this and, and, and really, really happy to see this level of fundraising done for an important park in our city. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Safai. I mean, I think I want to I, I want to say that yes, I am very well aware and just responding to one of the public comments uh, that Fletcher, yes, a firm that is known, also had actually done work at South Park, but. 
just because they're known, that doesn't necessarily mean, and which we are grateful for the in-kind service donation. Um, but then again, like at the end of the day, um, back to sort of this communications about uh, while we appreciate as a city for in-kind donation, um, far too often is that, uh, is there really a concrete and consistent communications with the community that really needs to be understood um, between those who offer these donations and the, and the demands and the needs of the community and that how do we reconcile that and I would call that on Rec Park and I which I have already uh, again to facilitate that to make sure that we do meet those demands um, and, and balance it out and I, I would say time and time again there are plenty of artists uh, firms uh, be able to contribute to the city, um, also raise their portfolio and their reputation as well. And I would like to think that when they contribute to the city uh, for the greater goods, um, that they will also be considerate of the community's, community's need. And with that though, the public commenter uh, has mentioned about the $5 million, uh, very specific. I just wanna, again, understood, I, I, I wanna, I thought I understood, but maybe I'm wrong and may, maybe I'm mistaken. It sounds to me though, it's not uh, Rec and Park's annual budget for capital funds. It sounds like it's an additional allocation of funding for the $5 million from the mayor's office for the general fund. Uh, once again, Director of Administration and Finance, Antonio Guerra. I want to point out in the June 1st budget, essentially we consider all of that funds rec park funding and as you saw in the budget, um, I believe going back to the fiscal year uh, 22 budget, there was funds added after our departmental submission and I think what you're replying to is the baseline and something that's going beyond the departmental baseline. So yes, that is correct. Thank you. Great. With that, uh, the I, uh, public comment is already closed, and then I would like to move the item six to full board with recommendation, and with that, a roll call, please. Uh, through the chair, uh, just a point of clarification, through the chair to member Safai, did you wanna uh, be the co-sponsor on just item six or six through eight? Okay, very well, noted, thank you. And on, that motion to forward the resolution in item six to the full board with a positive recommendation. Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai. Safai, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. The motion passes. And uh, would like to um, also change the, um, would like to amend item seven, or item eight, sorry, according yes. to the, uh, BLA report. And with that, let's uh, roll call on the amendment. Yes, on the motion to amend the resolution in item eight to uh, clarify the total estimated cost of emergency work not to exceed 2.1 million. Vice Chair Safai. Oh, sorry, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai. Member Safai. Member Safai, please. <laughs> yes. Safai, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. The motion passes to amend uh, item number um, seven, uh, uh, item number uh, eight yes. for the not to exceed amount. And with that, I think uh, we do have agreements from Rec and Park to establish the procedure 
uh, and actually turn that in back to the board for in 30 days. And then um, colleagues, uh, here's, here's uh, the thing about item seven and eight. I would like to send it to full board without recommendation, um, but it is in the understanding that we will be uh, approving it, you know, that we do need to fund them but I think that until we, I, I think it's a reminder that we need to fix uh, administrative code 6.6, .6, and we also uh, are still waiting for Rec and Park to send us the written procedure, given the fact that it did not submit to us according to um, the administrative code 6.6 .6 within 60 days. So with that, I don't hear any, I don't see any name on the roster. I'm making the motion to move items seven and eight without recommendation and roll call, please. And on that motion to forward the resolutions in items seven and eight, eight as amended to the full board without recommendation. Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai. Safai, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. The motion passes. And please call items number nine. Item number nine is a resolution authorizing the Office of Contract Administration to execute a contract with Radiation Detection Company for the purchase of ionized radiation detection badge services by city departments for a total not to exceed amount of 420,000 and a contract term of five years with an option to extend by two additional years for a total duration of seven years to commence December 1st, 2023 through November 30th, 2028 to allow the contractor to maintain radiation dose exposure reports for a period exceeding, exceeding 10 years and to authorize OCA to enter into amendments or modifications to the agreement that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities to the city and are necessary to effectuate the purposes of the agreement or the resolution. Madam Chair. Thank you. And this one, we have uh, Office of Contract Administration here. Thank you so much. Yes, good morning. My name is Lorna Walker and I am with the Office of Contract Administration. I also have here this morning Mary McGinty, who is the Radiation Safety Officer at the Department of Public Health. We're here to seek uh, or request your recommendation for approval for the OCA to enter into a contract for dosimetry monitoring services. The reason we are seeking this contract is that during the course of employment, uh, many of our city employees are exposed to radiation just in the performance of their work. This includes employees providing health care, veterinarian care, dental work, and emergency response services. The employees are working at various departments, including the Department of Public Health, the Medical Examiner's Office, the Animal Care and Control, and Department of Public Works. As a such, because of the exposure, the city must provide their employees with dosimeter badges, which continuously and regular, regularly monitor their individual exposure to radiation. This will ensure that the employee's exposure to radiation does not exceed the permissible levels at any one time or the permissible levels over the course of the employee's lifetime. It also ensures that the city's compliance with applicable laws and regulations. Under this contract, which we, uh, the OCA is seeking to enter into with Radiation Detection Company uh, for a period of five years, which is December 1st, 2023 through November 30th, 2028, with an option to extend by two additional years, 
the not to exceed amount for the contract is 420,000, which is based on historical data of approximately 60,000 per year during the last four years of usage. The primary departments that will be using uh, these services are the DPH, ADM, and DPW. The services that RDC will provide to the city personnel, they will be given proprietary radiation detection badges, which the employees will wear during their work. The RDC will then record, monitor, and report that data back to the city that's collected by those badges. And the uh, subject to the city's uh, data retention safety protocols, RDC will retain the data in perpetuity, which is why we are seeking board approval, because that is beyond the 10 years. Why does RDC keep the data in perpetuity? Because exposure to radiation is measured relative to and over an individual's lifetime. By allowing the data to be kept in perpetuity, the city can access the employee's complete radiation exposure at any given point in time and provide it back to the employee upon their request. It, regardless of whether they're asking for it at the immediate time or after retirement or any during time during their exposure. The, it also allows the city to evaluate and determine the employee's radiation exposure levels while they were employed by the city in case they move on. And it also will just demonstrate that the city is in compliance with all of the applicable statutes, rules, and regulations governing workplace radiation exposure levels should the city ever be audited in the future. Thus, we are requesting that this committee recommend approval to allow the OCA to execute the contract with RDC to purchase the ionized radiation detection badge services for a total not to exceed amount of $420,000 over five years with an option to extend for two additional years and to allow the contractor to maintain the radiation dose exposure reports for a period exceeding 10 years and to authorize the OCA to enter into any amendments or modifications as necessary, provided that those do not material increase the obligations or liabilities of the city and are necessary to effectuate the purposes of this agreement. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, I want to say if it weren't for um, even the lawsuits by the Police Officer Association at the military base and to understand that how it could impact our workers uh, on public land and public facility about the impact of radiation. I would be very curious about the necessity of it, but given that uh, lesson learned here, I do agree that it is necessary, uh, especially our first responders are often trained outdoors in spaces that are like Treasure Island and military, former uh, military bases, and uh, would like to understand the impact on radiation. With that said, and I don't see any other name on the roster, let's go to public comments for this item. Yes, we invite members of the public who have joined us today who wish to comment on this resolution to go ahead and line up. Seeing those speakers here in the chamber, Madam Chair. Now that no more public comments, public comment is now closed. And I'd like to move this item to full board with recommendation. A roll call, please. On that motion, to forward to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai. Safai, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. The motion passes. Please Thank call. Thank you. Thank you. Please call item number 10. 
And item number 10 is a resolution retroactively authorizing the Office of Contract Administration to enter into a fifth amendment to a contract between the city and county and Western States Oil for the purchase of gasoline for all city departments, increasing the contract by uh, 2.95 million for a total not to exceed amount of approximately 35.5 million and extending the contract duration by um, uh, for a total duration of five years and 19 days from November 1st, 2018 through November 19th, 2023. Madam Chair. Thank you, and we, again, we have the Office of Contract Administration here. Yeah, yes, Mark Farley from the Office of Contract Administration. Uh, thank you, Chair, thank you, committee members. Um, so we're here to talk about the uh, contract for uh, gasoline uh, with Western States Oil. Um, uh, it's just to give you a summary of the, of the contract. Uh, it provides gasoline for the city's cars, trucks, uh, vans, buses, bo boats, and other equipment, small and large. Um, the uh, primary con it's a primary contract for the city uh, for gasoline uh, in the peninsula locations, um, which was awarded to Western States uh, as part of a pre competitive solicitation um, per Administrative Code 21.1, which was issued back in April 2018. Uh, the original contract uh, was executed um, for $32 million um, for start, start date of November, November 1st, 2018 through October 31st of 2023. Uh, the contract was amended uh, four times prior, and we issued the amendment number five uh, on October 2nd. Um, the current uh, NTE sits at uh, $35.45 million, and we've extended the uh, term until uh, November 19th, 2023. Um, the contract pricing for oil is a mark up or mark down uh, on the uh, Opus uh, daily average rack, rack prices for gasoline uh, for San Francisco. Uh, if you look at the contract expenditures uh, for the different uh, for all the fiscal years thus far, uh, you'll see the uh, spike there beginning in uh, fiscal year 21-22, uh, which represented which represented a, a, an approximately 45% uh, increase from uh, the previous couple of fiscal years. Uh, and again, that level's been maintained since then just due to um, world events that have caused instability in the oil markets. Um, so you'll see the, the total spend there and, and again, the difference in monthly spend for the earlier fiscal years versus the later fiscal years. Um, uh, and again, this, this, there was a significant rise in oil pricing that, that uh, led to these uh, jumps in expenditures. Um, the gasoline is used heavily uh, by departments that have larger fleets uh, such as central shops controlled sites for, for Department of Public Works, um, the police department, uh, and Rec and Parks department, um, and also with PUC. And these departments represent about 77% of the total annual usage for gasoline. Uh, here you'll see a breakdown of expenditures by department. Uh, again, the, the ADM departments uh, consisting of uh, central shops, uh, DPW, um, uh, and the uh, police departments um, spend about 5.1 million per year. Again, PUC at about a million and fire department almost at a million uh, per year. Uh, this is uh, for fiscal year 2023 and their average monthly spends are, are uh, there as well. Uh, this Opus price index for gasoline you'll see um, has seen some ups and downs, um, very steady uh, rise and then uh, around uh, again February 20. 22, where world events sent oil prices into um, a bit of a, um, a a bit of a ride there, as you can see, um, and then you can see the the latest uh, data of gasoline uh, pricing has again steadily 
been steadily rising um, uh, for the uh, year of 2023. So uh, the necessity for the amend to, um, for the board to uh, amend this uh, contract, um, we at the Office of Contract Administration, we work to put in place a replacement contract uh, for, for gasoline uh, via the admin code 21.16 um, in advance of the expiration of the Western States contract. However, in um, discussions with the new contract that we were looking to, to take over, um, they requested changes to the contract terms. Um, and so in the time that it's taken to, to enter into negotiations regarding those, it's um, the balance of the contract has um, dwindled and uh, the existing contract has be subsequently um, become depleted. Uh, so we at OCA executed Amendment 5 um, prior to board approval uh, to, to ensure the continued delivery of fuel uh, that's essential to the uh, daily city operations uh, for its fleet and equipment. So this Amendment number 5, uh, we're requesting uh, re retroactive approval of the resolution to amend the contract with Western States Oil and this will increase the not to exceed uh, by $2.95 million to $35,450,000. Uh, it also extends the contract uh, duration by 19 days. Um, this NTE is based on an average monthly usage uh, for this, fiscal, this current fiscal year plus a 20% contingency. Um, and then the extension in duration ensures us for sufficient time to transition to the new contractor again that we are uh, finalizing uh, a, a contract agreement with currently. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it. Item 10, this is a resolution that retroactively approves the fifth modification to the city's agreement with Western States Oil. Uh, the amendment increases the not to exceed amount from 32.5 million to 35.45 million and then extends the term 19 days from October 31st to November 19th. Uh, this, the way that this agreement works is that there's a, a, the Western Oil delivers gasoline to city facilities within San Francisco. There's a fixed markup depending on the amount of deliveries uh, that occur and then it allows the price of the gasoline to fluctuate based on uh, industry index. Uh, the, the agreement was competitively procured. The board approved a $32 million agreement for five years back in 2018. Um, and then during the summer, the OCA realized that the, the department spending had essentially um, gone up to the not to exceed amount of this agreement. So they administratively increased the not to exceed amount and they're now seeking your approval of that amendment that's already been um, executed. We note the fiscal impact on page 21 of our report you can see um, most of the spending here is actually general fund spending, about 81% of that spending is general fund spending, mostly for central shops and fleet management to refuel um, all the city vehicles that operate in the city. Uh, we do believe that the increase in the not to exceed amount is reasonable, and so we're recommending approval of this resolution. Thank you. Uh, I'm just kind of curious. Why 19 days is just a little odd, and could you just articulate why 19 days? Yeah, the 19 days gives us a chance to finish up negotiations with the contractor that we're looking to take over um, to provide fuel for the city. Um, we, we are, we're almost, we're right there. 
uh, with the negotiations, and I think we, we hope to have a, an agreement in place. Uh, it also gives us time to transition and let departments know, hey, this is what's happening. We've, we've actually already told them about that, but just give them a chance to familiarize themselves with the new ordering procedures, scheduling, and so forth. So we think 19 days will be sufficient for that. Okay. Um, okay, thank you. And uh, let's go to public comments for this item. Yes, members of the public who have joined us today and wish to comment on this resolution, uh, go ahead and uh, line up now. Seeing no speakers, Madam Chair. Seeing no public comments, public comment is now closed, and I'd like to move this uh, item to full board with recommendation and roll call, please. And on that motion to forward to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai. Safai, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you, and the motion passes. And with that, um, please call item 11 and 12 together. Yes, item numbers 11 and 12 are resolutions for the following and authorize the director of property to enter into amendments or modifications to the respective lease or lease agreements that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities to the city and are necessary to effectuate the purposes of their respective resolutions. Item number 11 is a resolution authorizing and approving the lease of a portion of the real property located at 2789 25th Street to the San Francisco General Hospital Foundation for an initial term of 20 years at an annual base rent of $0 plus two 10-year extension options to extend. Uh, to commence upon execution of the lease after approval of this resolution by the Board of Supervisors and Mayor in their respective sole and absolute discretion. Finding the proposed transaction is in conformance with the general plan and the eight priority policies of the Planning Code and adopting California Environmental Quality Act findings. Item number 12 is a resolution approving and authorizing the Director of Property on behalf of the Department of Public Health to execute a lease agreement for the term of five years with two five-year options to extend the term for continued use of office space with the Bayview Plaza LLC located at 3801 3rd Street, Suite 400, had a base rent of approximately 554000 per year, approximately $37 per square foot with 3% annual rent increases, effective upon approval of the resolution and upon execution of the lease by the Director of Property. Madam Chair. Thank you. And colleagues, um, I, I just want to call out for item number 12. Um, you know, and as also that we, as we, we will go to the department presentation, we will go to the uh, budget and legislative analyst report for this item. Um, but um, it is, I, I just want to flag for everyone that, you know, based on the budget and legislative analyst report, that this is really an approval proposed solution. Approval of the proposed resolution is a policy matter for the board and that um, it is my intent to continue um, item 12 to the call chair. I do have some questions, you know, about um, just where we're heading with this um, and like to explore um, more options. I, I, so I just want to stay clear about my intention before we go into the details of the presentation today. But um, let's take one thing at a time and let's go to item 11 first and will Director uh, Enrico uh, pending, will you be also presenti presenting for item number 11 as well? Um, good morning, uh, Chair Chan, uh, Supervisor Mandelman, uh, and Drico Pinnock, Director of Real Estate. Uh, yes, I will be presenting item 11. Uh, it was my understanding that we were going to be continuing item 12 to the call of the chair uh, for two reasons. One, 
uh, we are still in communications with the BLA, so I didn't feel that their report was complete. Um, and also I know that the chair has some uh, concerns and issues that uh, she would like addressed before this is presented. Um, so I'm sorry to take this out of order, um, but I would ask, I would respectfully request that item 12 be continued to the call of the chair. I appreciate that, thank you. Um, then let's go to, so given the fact that, that we will be continuing this item, let's just go to item 11 for presentation. Very well. Uh, again, good morning, uh, Chair Chan, Supervisor uh, Mandelman, Enrico Pinnock, Director of Real Estate. I am pleased to be standing before you seeking your positive recommendation for a resolution authorizing a no-cost 20-year lease at 2789 25th Street for the San Francisco General Hospital Foundation as tenant. This lease represents the continuation of a 30-year partnership between the Foundation, the Department of Public Health, and UCSF for the benefit of Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg SF General. There are representatives from the foundation that will speak to their philanthropic efforts and I don't want to steal their thunder. However, this slide summarizes the history of giving um, by the foundation for the benefit of Zuckerberg. I'd note that they've already um, donated or arranged or raised uh, $245 million for Zuckerberg as of general. Um, this public benefit greatly exceeds the market rent for the small space that they will occupy, and their plans for contributions in the future uh, also exceeds uh, the uh, anticipated fair market rent. The terms of this uh, lease are rather simple. Um, it's a zero-cost lease for a term of 20 years with two 10-year options. The city will continue to pay the utilities at the site, and the foundation will indemnify uh, the city for any uh, claims or losses. This concludes my presentation on this item. We have representatives from the foundation, from DPH, and myself available to answer any questions you may have. Thank, Thank you. you. Item 11 is a resolution that approves a new a lease between the city as a landlord and the San Francisco General Hospital Foundation uh, for f about 4,900 square feet of office space, uh, 2789 25th Street. The lease has a 20-year term initially and then two optional uh, 10-year extensions, um, and there's no rent. Uh, the foundation has leased uh, this space for uh, quite some time, including most recently um, a short-term lease in 2018 that was entered into uh, in 2018. It's been on holdover status since it expired in January 2019. Um, we did discover as part of our reporting process that the foundation owed the city $45,940 in rent, um, which according to the real estate department, they have issued a check for that unpaid rent and uh, late fees and interest. Uh, but going forward, this won't be a problem because this proposed lease actually doesn't have any rent associated with it. Um, we note on page, uh, excuse me, 
26 of our report, um, the total amount of uh, money being waived here would amount to $13.6 million over the 40-year lease. That's uh, waiving, because this lease doesn't have any rent and the city will continue to pay utilities. Um, and I think the theory here is that although the hospital foundation has a lease now where they're paying market rate, um, by, not, by not charging rent to them going forward, uh, this would essentially allow them to donate more money to the city. But I think what's happening here is that this is really a general fund loss being replaced by essentially a restricted source of funding uh, because their donations are you know, for San Francisco hospital operations and, and mostly their capital program. Uh, I think this is an unusual arrangement. I haven't been found any other friends of or fundraising organization that rents city space and doesn't pay any rent. Um, I think this is a very long-term lease. Uh, so it's for those reasons we're considering approval to be a policy matter for the Board of Supervisors. Thank you. And um, uh, I don't see any uh, questions. Let, let, me, let me say this, though. Um, given the fact that it is a policy matter for, the, for this board, however, it is clear um, not just about the past uh, accomplishments that the foundation has uh, and, and supports that the foundation has provided to the city uh, to fund uh, one of the most critical um, institutes in San Francisco, which is our general hospital. Um, and I, from what I understand, you know, there's ongoing commitments from the foundations to raise, I believe it's almost billions of dollars in the next five years um, to commitment to Support, continuing to support um, the city and particularly, uh, you know, the general hospital. And with that, I, I see this uh, as would like to see the foundation to be kept on site uh, at the general hospital. Um, and I do understand uh, while this may not, while this is a policy uh, matter, um, we I also have identified this not as, uh, as I understand it, not really a significant general fund generator for the city. Uh, I'm comfortable approving this and in recommendation, Vice Chair Mandelman. Um, thank you, uh, Chair Chan, and, um, and I'm similarly inclined. I do take the BLA's point, however, and um, wouldn't see this, wouldn't necessarily want this to become the precedent for friends of organizations more broadly. I think that the SF General Foundation is um, is unique and mm -hmm. is been t tasked with or has taken on um, some pretty fun, uh, formidable and phenomenal fundraising goals. But I don't know. I don't think that this means we've made a decision that we think in general friends of uh, groups shouldn't be paying. And it is correct that this is a investment of general fund dollars in um, in uh, things that are not going to go into the general fund. So, um, but I think the chair is correct that we ought to uh, forward this with positive recommendation. Thank you, um, Supervisor Safai. Thanks. I just want to say this is such an important um, partnership between the foundation and the city, and I think this is something that where when people talk about public-private partnerships or foundation or philanthropy partnering with the city. 
This is a good example of that. And they do such tremendous work together. So I'm really happy to see this go forward. And I think this is going to be a true benefit to our city and, and has been for a really long time. Uh, so I just, and I'm talking about the San Francisco General Hospital Foundation's rent. Um, I might come back to you, Director, for a zero rent for my free clinic in the district. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We've talked about that for so many years. <laughs> but no, this is phenomenal. So thank you to the foundation, and thank you for all the work that you're doing and what it means to San Francisco. And um, yeah, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. And with that, um, let's go to public comment. Thank you, Madam Chair. We now invite members of the public who have joined us today who wish to comment on either item 11 or the uh, proposed continuation of item 12. If you begin uh, speaking, I'll start your time. Hello, I'm Kim Meredith, CEO of the San Francisco General Hospital Foundation, and thank you for um, considering um, this proposal for our lease. We have had a memorandum of understanding with the city since 1995. The foundation was started in 1993. And since 1993, we have raised about $245 million to support Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital. And we've also had the luxury since 1995 to have your support, um, to have um, a place to work that is rent free. So we thank you for that. And based on that legacy relationship, um, we actually invested $2 million between June of 2021 and May of 2022 to upgrade the facilities in the building um, that is a Department of Public Health building. So we believe in our relationship and we are truly committed to that. Um, when we look ahead, we do have a five-year, very expansive strategic plan to raise another $250 million that has taken 30 years to raise in the past to raise in the next five years. And with that in mind, I've actually just signed um, all of the documentation for transfer um, of $18 million so that we can bring that through the accept and expend process immediately now that we have our new signed MOU. San Francisco General Hospital Foundation is self-sufficient. We support all of our staff. We pay for everything else other than the rent. So we are very, very grateful for your consideration on that. And we are one of the only public hospitals in the country that is fully self-sufficient. Um, so with that, I thank you, and we look forward to your support. And I'm happy to answer any other questions. Thank you, Kim Meredith, for addressing this committee. And seeing no further speakers here in the chamber, Madam Chair. Seeing no more public comments, public comment is now closed. Um, colleagues, I would like to make the motion to continue item 12 to the call chair. And uh, with that, a roll call, please. And on that motion to uh, continue the resolution in item 12 to the call of the chair. Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai. Safai, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. The motion passes and would like to uh, move item 11 to full board uh, with recommendation and with that um, a roll call please. And on the motion to forward the resolution in item 11 uh, to the full board with a positive recommendation. Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai. Safai, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. The motion passes. Um, Sir Clark, do you have any other items before us today? Uh, Madam Chair, that concludes our business. Uh, we'd just like to quickly resend the votes for item one and two. Um, and 
I see no objections to resent the items one and two. And uh, let's uh, do a roll call for item one and two, uh, moving the items to full board with recommendation. Grazie. Okay. Roll call. Yes, uh, okay, so the vote on items uh, one and two were rescinded uh, with no objection and on the motion to forward both items to the full board with a positive recommendation. Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. Thank you. The motion passes and seeing no more other business before us today, uh, the meeting is adjourned.